Welcome to the Venture 12 podcast, conversations to engage and inspire missional people. Well, welcome everybody to the Venture 12 podcast. I'm together with Ashley this evening, and it is this evening, it's it's 8 o'clock in, uh, 8.30 actually, in Sweden, 7.30 in England. How are you doing, Ashley? Oh, I'm okay, thank you. I um, I've just gotten over one of those wonderful um, coffee throat infection things, and I now have a voice, so you know, feeling oh, good. great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we've had to delay, haven't we? Because your voice has not been up to up to the job. Well, I thought unless you wanted something a little bit like husky and sexy coming on the podcast, I just you know wait yeah, a little bit longer. Yeah, that's our other podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> another time. Another time. Yeah. Oh dear. Well, it's good to be it's good to be here, um, and to we're, we're going to be obviously introducing the theme a little bit later but uh and and our guest as well although he doesn't need any introduction because it's his second time on the podcast brad briscoe uh but we'll come to that in a bit so uh normally we just ask what's happening in the world what's what's grabbing our attention what have you Apart- been doing today mark yeah, well, I'm actually pretty tired. Um, I, I came back from a weekend away with all the kids from church, so they, there's been a, a, a regional kids camp, and uh, uh, it was just pretty intense. The kids loved it. Let's just say that <laughs> I had to sleep on the floor. I had an awful night's sleep, but uh, I mean, lots of fun. There's loads of snow as well in Sweden at the moment, so snowball fights. They rented out a big swimming pool as well, so that was fun. Does it just like snow continuously from like now till February, or is it just like is it kind of rare, like in the UK? Um, it's yeah, in some parts it's snow now up until wow. I don't know April. But where we live, right in the very south of Sweden, it's really boring. People always ask, "Oh, you must have so much snow and go skiing and everything like that." But it's actually it's just like England here. We're right in the very south of Sweden, so. The snow just is falling. Yeah, the, well, the snow's we've got a lot of snow outside, but I'm pretty sure it's going to rain tomorrow, and that's just horrible, isn't it? Slush. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. we're used to that down in this part, just like in the UK. So, yeah. well, you feel you're looking very at home. I'm looking at you now on our on our Zoom recording, and you're definitely representing the UK in this I moment. Am, yeah. Why is that? I've got I've got my England shirt on. 1982 retro just, English shirt. He just on. showed me the logo, everyone. You don't, yeah. you don't get to see the visual of that. Three lines on a shirt as we sing, and it's coming home, I guess. I hope, pray. Uh, well, it, for the men's game, anyway, it came home for the women's game last summer in the European Women's Championships, but we're hoping that yeah. the men will do well this year. We just played Iran, actually, today, earlier today, and uh, got a good result. The game was boring, but it was 6-2 to England, so happy days. There you go. Can't complain. Absolutely. No, no. So I sat with Chris together in church. We pulled up the sofa and uh, put it on the big screen, watched it together. 
pretty relaxed which is unusual for us usually we're under the table like we you know it's just biting your nails stuff with when you're watching them play football but today it was like a walk in the park brilliant i'm gonna pretend to be interested because i really love football <laughs> Sorry, and i, th- I guess everyone you can tell by moment. ashley's voice that she doesn't <laughs> she doesn't care at all no but, yeah. no i spent the day mark with um four different electricians coming around to try and fit my fix my oven oh you're kidding so um height of excitement similar to your day i imagine watching yeah. england play football <laughs> you got a microwave. Apparently. So, Do you have a microwave? Yeah. And one electrician even went as far as buying a new oven before he realised that it wasn't the oven that was broken. It was some wiring. So oh, Dave, we've had very different days. Lots then. of very different days. Yeah. <laughs> very different days. But anyway, we're enough about us. I want to know a little bit about what it was like for you, Mark, because you've just done interview number two with Brad Briscoe. Do you feel like your best friends? Actually, yeah. Well, I like him a lot. I don't know. I mean, you do start to build a rapport with people when you when you reconnect. Um, so, yeah, best best mates, I'd say. <laughs> I'm not sure what he would say, uh, but I mean, enjoyable to be with him. And we, when we do podcasts, we always have like 15 minutes before we actually do the interview. And uh, I mean, I think I said this before, but pretty much all the time, it's always really, really nice just to have a little chat with people and they're always really interested in what we're doing. Um, but Brad, he was really excited actually to be joining us. And I just really got that when I, when I was, when we were preparing the 10 minutes before he was really up for it. Uh, I'm not sure whether it's cause we're a European audience and he's usually talking to folks in the U S context and it was a bit of a, a new thing for him, but maybe, maybe it was something like that, but otherwise I just got a real vibe that he loves he loves the topic and he, th- he thinks it's so, so central and so important for, for people and for organisations. And, and yeah, yeah, good. Now I feel like we need to start recording those first 10, 15 minutes just to like a little e- extra gold, you know? Yeah. Off the cuff, hear the excitement, hear, now, hear, hear how nervous the podcast <laughs> <laughs> um, interviewer is. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't nervous this time, but sometimes when you like first, when someone comes up on the screen, Greg Boyd, when he came up on the, because he's like, I know you shouldn't have heroes. Uh, I mean, you should should look up to people, but he's been a bit of a hero to me, certainly for a long time. And I was really nervous. Uh, And when he popped up on the screen, he's just, he was just exactly like he is when he preaches. So, and it's just surreal. You're kind of like wondering what you're doing. So, I mean, sometimes I'm nervous, but uh, but most of the time you just, they put you to ease straight away and they're just, you know, people are just normal, you know, they're normal and they're down to earth, mm. passionate about similar things to to what we're passionate about, which is why we get them on the podcast, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's it's also why we wanted to keep chatting about the subject, isn't it? Because we're pretty, pretty interested um, in this co-vocational theme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll ask you that question. So, yeah, we are pretty interested. Do you want to tell us why? Give us a your take oh, on it. I threw it to you. Threw it back to me. Yeah. Well, why are we interested? Oh, well, I feel like that's going to come up in the podcast. Um, I think that um, Brad, I think mentioned the first one and mentions again this time, just like how important that this is for the future of the church. But um, I was thinking more about telling these guys that we're doing an online event. 
Oh, that May first of yeah. December. That was that's where I was going with that question I was throwing to you. You know, yeah. Um, <laughs> the first of December, seven fifteen p.m. Anyone wants to come and join us on Zoom because Mark and I just think that the conversations that Mark's been having with Brad are really interesting, and this whole subject's really interesting, and we'd love to explore it and just chat about it a bit more with anyone who fancies coming to chat to us about it. Mark and I don't know very much <laughs> more than you probably do um, about co-vocational ministry, um, but we do think that it's worth a good a good conversation, explore, pull it apart a bit. Um, chat about what we thought about the podcast episodes and what about people's specific circumstances where they are how could things work etc etc so if you fancy coming to chat with us jump online i think the zoom link might be in the description to the podcast yeah we'll put it in the description of the podcast it's already on if you're not uh if you've not joined the facebook community you should do that because you'll you sometimes get extra bits and pieces that we put out there but this event is for anybody and anybody who who's part of that community, but also you can share it with your friends, anyone who's interested in the subject or pursuing it or worried about the tensions and the, the implications or, or the excitement of the possibilities. Uh, we'd love to have you on board, but the Facebook community is a great place to, to kind of find more information and you'll get the, the Zoom link there. Yeah. And now I really am asking you this question, Mark, because I don't actually know the answer, so don't throw it back to me. What's the next podcast going to be? Yeah, the next podcast is going to be Pursuing the Will of God together with um, Ruth Haley Barton. And Hannah is going to be interviewing Ruth Haley Barton. So that will be the the next podcast, probably the back end of this month be coming out. So. Do 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 keep in in the uh, what we'd say subscribe to our um, Spotify uh, or whatever audio platform you're 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 listening on. It's really good if you f- click follow or subscribe because that helps other people find the podcast. So just doing a bit of uh, evangelism there for the podcast. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> cool. Great. Well, let's jump in and um, hear what um, wonderful bits of gold you got in your podcast with. Brad Mark. Let's do it. Well, welcome, Brad Briscoe once again to the Venture 12 podcast. How are you? Thank you, Mark. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. I was I should have said before, but you're actually the first person to ever be on the Venture 12 podcast twice. So, uh, <laughs> Wow, that's quite an honor. That's big. <laughs> this is big stuff. This is uh, history in the making today. All right. Well, that's good to know. No pressure, though. Yeah, no pressure, no. But we were so... Um, I mean, we, we, last podcast that we did, we... We talked to you about APEST and and about co-vocational, bivocational ministry. And uh, that really sparked off quite a lot of conversation off the back of the podcast. Um, and so we felt we needed to come back, uh, open up the conversation again and uh, ask you some questions and drill down into some of the things that you said in the last podcast uh, and, and maybe explore some new things. Are you, are you up for that? Yeah, absolutely. And I love having the conversation around this whole bivocational ministry and church planning. Yeah, wonderful. 
I don't know if we need to introduce you because if you're listening and you didn't listen to the first podcast, Brad introduced himself in the first podcast, but is there anything new happening in your life? There was a hurricane coming, wasn't that last time we we spoke to you? Yeah, the hurricane was coming and uh, it ended up coming ashore about 50 miles south of us. But last week we had another hurricane come through, Uh, It came from the other direction, but we're all good. And that's just the, uh, that's the downside of, of living on the Gulf side of Florida. Wow. Wow. Well, we're grateful you're here. Yeah, we're all uh, good. We're all good. That's good. Well, listen, let's get straight into it. So um, co-vocational, bivocational ministry, terms which maybe not everyone's familiar with. Um, uh, what would be great, just to start with, is if you could just lay once again some foundations for what we mean when we say those terms and uh, and anything else you want to add to that to help us understand the paradigm around that. Yeah, so... Probably four or five years ago, I moved into a new role for the, the organization that I, I work uh, for and, and worked for for over 20 years. And I moved into a new role that we just called director of bivocational church planning. And when I moved into that role, I knew one of the things that I wanted to do was try to change what I like to call the bias narrative around bivocational ministry and bivocational church planning. What I mean by bias narrative is I just think most people have, when they hear the word bivocational, uh, many have kind of a negative connotation or a neg- negative perspective on it. It's like, oh, it's a part-time person. You know, they 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 can't give uh, full-time attention to their ministry or to their church. And and I just felt like that needed to change. So uh, I think there's multiple ways to try to bring about change in the way people think about bivocational ministry. Uh, part of it is I think we need to talk about the benefits because I think there are amazing, wonderful, beautiful benefits of being bivocational. I think we need to tell more bivocational stories of people that are actually doing it and doing it well. But the third thing is I felt like that we needed to expand or in some sense even change the language around bivocationalism. And here's what I mean by that. Think think of the word bivocational. The word bivocational, if, you ever, if you've ever heard or used the word bifurcate, to bifurcate means to take one thing and divide it into two parts. Well, unfortunately, I think that's what we do a lot of times when we think about bivocational ministry is we compartmentalize or we bifurcate work and mission or work and ministry. So a lot of times you'll you'll hear people say things like, oh, well, I do my job over here so I can do ministry over here. Well, I don't think that's very helpful. Um, uh, in fact, I think it's harmful to, to mission and ministry. And I think there's what's going on there is a, a sacred secular divide or what some people call dualism, where we consider something sacred and other things secular. Well, to kind of get at that language a little bit, we started playing around with different words. And, and uh, probably four years ago or so, we started using the word co-vocational. So think of the word co-vocational, co, C-O comes from the Latin prefix com, C-O-M, which means to have in common. So think of words like co-pilot, co-author, companion, co-worker. It, it, it's about bringing two things in alignment. So instead of a car- compartmentalizing those things, we bring them together. So I just think that's a, a helpful, uh, again, kind of a, it, not, not to change the language necessarily, to expand the language. Now, the last thing I'll say about kind of those definitions is I still use the word bivocational and co-vocational, but there's a little nuance for me. So here's the little nuance. A bivocational church planter, for me, is someone that has a part-time job in the marketplace that they see as temporary. So in other words, they hope the church grows large enough that they can leave their part-time job in the marketplace and focus full-time on the church. 
And to that, I say, it's all good, right? There's nothing wrong with being bivocational. Uh, it's a lot of times what we refer to as the tent maker, the Apostle Paul in Acts 18. Uh, we, we do this job in the marketplace, but we just kind of see it as temporary until the church grows large enough to, to really provide a full-time salary. But co-vocational is someone that has a calling in the marketplace that they never intend to leave. In other words, they know God has called them to be an architect or an engineer or a web designer or a mechanic or a school teacher. And at the same time, they feel like God's calling them to start something. So I want to encourage people that have a full-time calling in the marketplace to recognize they don't have to choose between work and mission or work and ministry, that they can be full-time in the marketplace and we need to help them then what does it look like then to start a church? And the reality is, if you're working 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week in the marketplace, you can't plan a church the way we've always planned churches. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's a really helpful conversation to have to get people to actually kind of rethink church planting because they know if they're working full time in the marketplace, uh, they can't you know, spend 20 hours a week working on a sermon or they mm -hmm. can't spend 20 hours a week focusing on the Sunday morning worship service mm -hmm. uh, that we have to actually rethink church planting. Yeah. So Interesting. I, the last little thing I'll say there is I mm -hmm. hope that as we talk about the benefits of being bivocational and as we encourage bivocational planters uh, by telling stories of, you know, different men and women, what they're doing, that we'll actually have more and more bivocational church planters in a sense become co-vocational church planters. So in other words, even when the church grows large enough that they could leave their part-time job in the marketplace and focus on the church, they decide to stay. They just see that there are so many missiological benefits and so many financial benefits that they actually stay in the marketplace while they're pastoring or planting a new church. Cool. Really interesting. All right. We're going to go on a bit of a journey in this podcast. Um, and for those who are listening, they'll be hoping that we're going to get real a little bit more practical uh, and maybe have some story, have some examples, talk about the tension, opportunity. Uh, and actually, the questions that I'll ask a bit later on are actually questions that listeners and uh, people who are connected to Venture 12 have, uh, have asked me to ask. So that's that's exciting. However, just to kind of push out the, the idea or the paradigm a bit, um, one of the things you said in the last podcast uh, really grabbed me and, and, and a lot of other people. You said um, uh, that... Um, Co-vocational ministry is the single most effective missiological, missiological and financial um, uh, aspect or, or opportunity. Uh, that, that's quite a big statement. Can you? Can you? <laughs> we love it, but we, and we love big statements. Can you? Do you, do you stand with that still? Uh, yeah, I do, without a doubt. Um, now I've what do you mean by that? that? Yeah, well, <laughs> some people are angry or mad because they think when I say that that I'm diminishing all the work that we've done planting churches and other, you know, and other models or strategies. But I still would would hold to that I think co-vocational is the single best missiological and financial strategy for planting a church. And here's here's what I mean by that. Let's just take each of those separately. First off, missiologically, there is just no way you can argue that all of us, regardless of where you live, I live in the States, but no no matter where you live in the world, we are living in an increasing missionary context. So more and more people are less and less interested in the programs and activities of the church. And the sooner we come to grips with that and recognize that, no, we live in a vastly different world 
a vastly different uh, religious landscape than we did even five years ago, certainly 10 years ago. And I would say even two years ago, the, the religious landscape is changing rapidly. So because more and more people are less and less interested in the programs and activities of the church, we have to find other places to engage in people relationally and connect with people. And I would argue the single best place to do that is in the marketplace. So the point is when a church planter has, even if it's a part-time job in the marketplace, but if they have a calling in the marketplace, they have access to an enormous mission field that they would never have otherwise. I mean, we know there are so many people that just, there's no way they're going to darken the doors of a church. There's no way they're, we're going to be able to, whatever we do, we're not going to be able to attract them to a program and activity of the church. So we have to go where they are. And I give you a great example of this. Uh, I've had the opportunity over the last couple of years to interview uh, probably 60 or 70 co-vocational church planters. And I have eight questions I like to ask them. And the first question I always ask is, what are the two greatest benefits of being co-vocational? And this is no exaggeration. Out of these 60, 70, 80 interviews I've done, every single time, bar none, every single time, the number one benefit. Now, they, they use different language, but it's about having access to a, a mission field they wouldn't have otherwise. Every single time they say, man, I, I build relationships with people I would never have the opportunity to build race, relationships with. I remember one, one church planter, he said when he was talking about the relationships that he has in the marketplace, it was funny. He said, it never ends. Like, <laughs> like every day there's a new opportunity to build a relationship because of the type of job that he had. So just huge missiological benefits. But, re, but kind of related to that in the missiological world, I'd say another uh, benefit, kind of a missionary benefit, is I think it gives the church planter or pastor enormous respectability, or you might call it street cred, both inside the church and outside the church. So inside the church, what I mean by that is people in the congregation, they, there is just a uh, a credibility that comes along when the pastor, the leader in the church, even if it's part-time, but if they have a job in the marketplace, they people in the congregation just appreciate that. And they respect that because they know that that church leader understands some of the, some of the struggles they're going through Monday through Friday. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge benefit, I think, inside the church. But maybe even greater than that, there's a great respectability outside the church. Because all of us, again, are living in an increasing missionary context. For many people outside the church, for someone to be a pastor or a church planter, it's just it's just an odd vocation. I mean, and we all know that, that when we have conversations with people and inevitably someone will say, well, what do you do? And if you say I'm a church planter or a pastor, often it just ends the conversation. It's like, yeah. you know, more and more people, they are they're either skeptical of the church and at worst they're hostile. So if you can lead in a relation, in a, you know, connecting with somebody or beginning a relationship, if you can lead with what you do in the marketplace, I just think it changes everything. Mm, so there's lots of just missiological benefits again. And I just think it, it mainly has to do with the relationships. And then just real quick, let me hit. I, there's just no way you can argue, I think, the financial benefits of being co-vocational. And I'll usually frame the financial benefits in, with kind of three little phrases or words. Number one, I'll say uh, it, it brings great financial stability for the church planter. So think about it like this. If the, if the primary support for the church planter is coming from the marketplace, I've just discovered there is so much less financial strain or stress on the church planter and the church planter's family. 
especially if that support includes things, you know, benefits like vacation or insurance. We know insurance is a huge thing. Well, if all those benefits are coming from the job that the church planter has in the marketplace, there's just less financial strain on the family. Secondly, I say there's a huge financial benefit for the church plant. So this is a no brainer, but if the primary support for the planter is coming from the marketplace, there's just going to be more resources available for mission and ministry for the church plant. And then third, I'd say there's huge financial benefit for the church planting entity. So in other words, if, if there's a denomination or a church planting network, that's funding that church planter, there's just more money to go around if you don't have to fully fund that church planter. And especially if they're planting a church in a city that's like super expensive, you know, like Vancouver in Canada or New York City, really any major urban population center to live in the core of that, that city is amazingly expensive. And it doesn't matter what denomination or church planning network you're a part of. We don't have enough money to plant all the churches we need to plant with fully funded church planters, especially if they're in a very expensive city. So the only way we're going to do that and the only way we're going to see a true church planning movement is we have to engage bivocational and co-vocational church planters. OK, that's good. I'm going to read to you. I stumbled across a quote uh, in another book uh, called Red Skies. Um and it's Michael Beck, who he said this, he said, following the example of Acts, the edge is continuously becoming the center. Local churches are now becoming the new seminary, tasked with equipping a force of contextually intelligent by and co-vocational lay ministers. The decreasing number of institutionally credentialed clergy are shifting into the gig economy. Uh, Full-time paid ministry will be the exception not the rule. The church as we know it will look vastly different in 20 years. That's Michael Beck. Do you agree with that? Or what would you add to that? Yeah. And I'd say, first off, man, I love all of Michael's work. And there's several things he says in that statement that I, I think is worth talking about. One is not only do we have to, I mentioned earlier, the sacred secular divide. Not only do we need to diminish that and maybe blow it up, but we have to diminish the clergy laity divide. I mean, we have to deprofessionalize ministry that it's just it's just horrible for the mission and, and ministry of the church that we you know we say only uh, the the clergy or the paid professional can do ministry i mean part of this whole co-vocational conversation part of the benefit of it is it it helps us to re-engage in the priesthood of all believers that we need to empower everybody to engage in ministry I mean, we need to help people understand that regardless of what god's called them to do in the marketplace they're in full-time ministry so again, there's both this sacred secular divide, but there's also this clergy laity divide that I think is very damaging to the work of the church. Uh, the second thing I like what Michael said there is it it, uh, it it references or kind of alludes to theological education that I think this co-vocational conversation when when fully grasped and fully fleshed out, it's going to change the way we think of theological education. So we're, in other words, we're going to have to change both, I think, the content and the delivery of the way we do theological education. So the content's going to have to be a little bit different because I think it's going to, it needs to be focused more on missionary behaviors and activities. And, and then it has, we have to deliver it differently because if someone has a full-time job in the marketplace, they can't, you know, do training during the week, during the day, or they, they can't, you know, uproot their family and and live in another city while they're going to seminary. Um, I would say ultimately the answer to this is our theological education needs to be rooted in the local church. And I think Michael's alluding to that too, in that statement is that 
that we need to, we still absolutely need to do theological education, but it needs to be incarnational. It needs to be contextual and it probably, it needs to be embedded into the local church. So there's a lot that he said there in that statement, but uh, yes, I, I think I agree wholeheartedly with everything he said there. That's good. All right. So we get into the more practical um, part of the podcast now, but maybe this is a transitionary question from what you're seeing, what you're experiencing, uh, what type of, organizations or denominations or movements are embracing this the movement towards you know maybe a a, a mixed economy of ministry options or or, or leaning more towards co-vocational bivocational what kind of organizations are you and types of organizations are you seeing migrate to that journey towards that journey um and what kind of organizations what characteristics do those organizations that resist the journey tend to embody does that does that uh, make any sense yeah no that's a great question um i would say first off those churches that i mean those denominations and church planning networks this it's unfortunate that this is the the, the first answer or response to that but it's those that don't have a lot of money because they kind of like out of necessity they have had they've had to go with bivocational and co-vocational church planting church planters because they just didn't have enough money to fully fund. So it's those denominations I think that uh, haven't been you know they, they didn't have deep pockets, so they were forced to go with bivocational and co-vocational planters. Now I would say even those denominations church planter and church planting networks that have money now for missiological reasons uh, there's more and more of that that's taking place. So I'll tell you this, the organization that I work for is a, it's an enormous group. I mean, it's probably the largest church planning network in the world. And I work throughout the United States and Canada. And here's what's interesting is I work with church planters and then missionaries in the field that work with church planters. The farther north that I go, the more and more bivocational and co-vocational planters that I see. So in other words, in the deep south, there are still lots of very large churches that have lots of money. And when the church planter connects with one of those large churches and, you know, is able to cast a compelling vision, that that mega church, in many cases, is in a position where they can support that church planter in a in a full salary position sort of thing. But the more you go north and especially after you cross the border and move into Canada, I'm telling you, in Canada, I can't think of one single church planter that's fully funded. I mean, every church planter, to go back to Michael's quote, they're in the gig economy. I mean, they 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 have multiple side hustles, and it's just because they know that financially they're never going to be f- fully supported. But also they know missiologically, as we mentioned earlier, you know, there there's some other benefits of, of them being in the marketplace. So I would say, back to your question, Mark, I think initially it's probably those denominations that... Uh, didn't have a lot of money or or haven't had a lot of money. But then also, typically, it's those denominations or church planning networks that are probably a little smaller, a little more nimble, and a little less risk adverse. So they, they're they not afraid of experimenting. They're not a trade of, of, afraid of trying some things. Um, because in the co-vocational world, it's not just about a planter that has, you know, is an architect or a school teacher. But also in the co-vocational world, there's church planters that are starting businesses. They're starting for-profit businesses, coffee shops and co-working spaces and CrossFit gyms. And there's some that are starting nonprofits. So they see there's a benefit of not just going in and starting the Sunday morning worship service, 
but there's a benefit of going in and starting something else for the benefit of their city and then birthing a church out of that missional engagement. So for me, that's another stream that's kind of about co-vocational. So the reason I say that here is that those networks and denominations that aren't afraid of that, uh, again, they're, they're, they're a little more comfortable with experimentation and risk and, and kind of research and development. They'll support a church planter that goes in to start something like a coffee shop and birth a church out of it. So uh, those churches just have to be a little more nimble and a, and a, and a little uh, more comfortable with risk. Okay. Maybe we'll come back to that one. Um, uh, to just because to, I've got another question that's slightly connected to it that's come from someone who's been listening. Uh, um, but what, what what fruits are you seeing from this model? What what what's the kind of um, where are we seeing life giving stories through uh, you know good news in, in maybe some examples of churches that are co vocational? Well, there's lots of different examples uh i mean from a church planter that is a i mean just it just runs the gamut uh and we can go back and kind of talk about some very specific examples of like what are vocations that people do and are there some vocations or part-time jobs that are better than others and i think that there are but they're just it's almost like you could name any occupation and there's probably a church planter <laughs> that does that while they were planting a church but back to your your question though about fruit i think there's a, a couple of things i'd say here first off is that uh, it allows church planters to really engage the brokenness in their city. I think, and, and again, this can make some people uncomfortable, but I think more so than a fully funded planter. Here, here's what I mean by that, is that I just see, and I see this over and over again, that, that when we have a fully funded planter or they're fully funded for, let's say, two years or three years, when they move into us, and I, I've got to admit, I, I mean, I can point the finger back at myself because this I did this 25 years ago, is that when you know you're fully funded for two or three years, you move into a city or a context with really good motives. Like you want to reach into the brokenness of the city. You want to really reach lost people. But a year in, 18 months in, two years in, when you begin to, to recognize that your funding is going to come to an end or it's going to dry up, I just see too many church planters shift just a little bit to where they were really focusing on the down and outers and, and the people that were far away from Jesus to saying, no, you know what? We actually need to attract some tithing Christians to be a part of this thing that we're doing so we can continue to be sustainable. So it just when when there's full when there's full funds for that church planter, but those funds are only for one year or two years or three years. Uh, the runway just isn't very long, where when when you have a co-vocational or even a bivocational church planter, they have a much longer runway and they don't have to be dependent on the money that's coming into the church from the people that are part of the congregation. And we all know someone that's that's far away from God that, you know, uh, they might not be or in most cases, they're not very good givers or supporters of the ministry. So if you're co-vocational, Again, there's that financial benefit to where you just have a much longer runway. So I just I've just seen bivocational and co-vocational planters dig into their city in, in just a I don't know, not in just a beautiful ways that sometimes it's just difficult to do when you really just focus on the Sunday morning worship service because you want to try to gather people and you hope you gather some givers. And there's just so much attention on the on the gathering each week. There's just a unfortunately, there's just a little less attention given to ministry in workplaces and neighborhoods and social spaces throughout the week. So I've just seen bivocational and co-vocational 
planters have a little more freedom to engage in their city um, on a, just on a different level. Maybe, maybe it's not better, but it, it's certainly on a different level. That's interesting. What do you see is the most common split? Somebody's asked, is it, I mean, a lot of the people who've asked these questions actually come from a European context. So I'm not entirely sure how, you know, they correlate or the, the differences, but I'm sure there are some differences. Um, but in your context or what you're seeing or the people that you're serving, uh, is it is it like a 50-50 split or are there, is, it, is it totally varied? Um, yeah. And what are the benefits and challenges of like maybe like yeah, someone that's who's a great Yeah, that's a great question. I think it, first off, it goes back to the type of vocation someone has in the marketplace. But the other thing I would say is I would really encourage somebody, try not to think about a split. Like, is it 50-50, 80-20, 70-30? But instead, try to think about how it it coheres together and and bring those together like instead of thinking because i'll tell you i'll talk to pastors sometimes and church planters that if they'll say something like you know like i know a guy that there was a police officer uh that then and he would he i remember making this comment to me he said he felt guilty when he was at his job because he couldn't spend that time on the church and jokingly i said to him and we're we're friends but jokingly i said i want to slap you it's like, don't do that. Like, why, why do you think when you're a police officer, it's like disconnected from mission and ministry? It's like, why stop doing that? Like, see those things together. I mean, first off, work is good. God created work and it's good for us to work regardless of what that work is. And then secondly, I want to say, let's try to connect what you do, but let's try to connect what everybody in your church does in the marketplace with God's mission. Like, how does their calling in the marketplace contribute to and participate in the Missio Dei, the mission of God? Because it does. So instead of thinking, well, I wonder what the split, like I'm going to spend 50% of my time in the marketplace and 50% of the time at church, I would say, no, try work as hard as you can to see how do those two things go together? Um, so now certainly there are some jobs I think are more conducive to church planting uh, than others, like a, kind of a silly I'll talk about, think about your time, your money, and your relational capital. So kind of think of those three things as it relates to a job. So here's a silly example I'll give sometimes. I'll say, if you work in a cubicle, like in an office, all by yourself from nine to five, Monday through Friday, that's probably not a very good job to have and be a church planter. Like if you're working 40 hours a week, but you always work by yourself, and let's say you're just answering the phone in a cubicle, but... If you work in that cubicle and you can make enough money to just work Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and you're off Thursday and Friday, maybe that is a good calling in the marketplace. Or maybe you work a job where you don't make a lot of money, but maybe you work in retail and you meet 200 new people every single day during the week. Well, maybe that's a really good job. You have relational capital. You don't have very much money or free time, but you... Does that make sense? And in some cases, maybe you can make a lot of money or maybe you can do your job in three days a week. So it frees you up those other two days. So I think, you know, rarely will we find a vocation where we we have a lot of free time, we make a lot of money and we meet a lot of people, but kind of be thinking about what what are, you know, one or two of those things. Is it conducive uh, for building relationships, uh, you know, conducive for for starting a, a new church? Mm -hmm. So. I do think there are some callings that are more conducive than others. But again, I, I think the first thing we have to do is, is try to recognize um, 
how is my calling to the marketplace actually a part of God's mission and ministry? But then also, are there ways that we can align that with church planting? So then we don't have to kind of have this sacred, secular, dualistic view and compartmentalize what we do in the marketplace with mission and ministry. Okay. There's, there's like, I mean, you, you know this, and I, I know this, you know, from obviously from life experience that, you know, church planting, it, it, it demands quite a lot from you, heart, body, mind, soul, presence, uh, of course, upon those in, that you have key relationships with, you, obviously your family. Um, and so, and then there's the other aspect of life where you might have like a, you, you know, you might have a, um, uh, you might be working a job or, or a career, which also is, yeah, is, is a place which you love, a place which you're, you're pursuing. Um, is that, is that, there's a potential danger there, obviously. What do you, what do you tend to say to people like that where they're obviously, you know, there's obviously quite, it's quite demanding in both spaces. Is that workable or how, what well, good it advice? Is, well, it, I think it is workable, but we have to change the way we view some of these things and we have to mm. change expectations, I think. So the first thing I would say is uh, we have to rethink church planting. So we just can't think of church planting the way we've historically thought of church planting, where, again, in the States, church planting was really like it's code word for for launching a Sunday morning worship service. <laughs> it really it's like when someone says I'm starting a church or I'm planting a church, what they really mean is they're starting a Sunday morning worship service. Right. And that can and I'm not I'm not anti Sunday morning worship servicing. OK, we're we're a worshiping gathering community. But we also know that when we start there, when we kind of have this launch large approach, Man, I know church planters that spend an enormous amount of time fundraising, an enormous amount of time on space, like renting space, setting up, tearing down, setting up chairs, you know, rehearsing. It's just working on a sermon. You know, there's just so much time and attention and resources given to that one hour on Sunday morning that it can be exhausting. So I think we have to rethink that. We we have to simplify things. We have to think more like a missionary uh, you know, again, I said earlier, we have to have a long runway and if finances aren't driving it, we can do that. We can slow down. We can have more healthy rhythms to where it's more relational. Again, it, it not that it's easy, but we've just, we've got to change our expectations of, and, and our understanding. Really, we've got to rethink church planting, I would say. Hmm. And then the second thing, is I think we need to change our own expectations and we need to like redefine what su success looks like. But early on, we have to help any core team or anybody that's a part of our church planning group. They have to have different expectations. And, and I'll tell you, I think the co-vocational conversation helps to change those expectations. So I'll give you an example. I've told you earlier or mentioned earlier about doing surveys with these co-vocational leaders. So there's one co-vocational church planter that I remember talking to is one of my favorite stories. He was actually a, a he was a, a CIA federal agent. And this dude worked like crazy. I, I, I He told me there were weeks he worked 70 or 80 hours a week. Well, whenever I asked him that first question that I mentioned earlier, what, what are the greatest benefits? Again, the first answer was about having access relationally to people that he wouldn't have otherwise. But here was a second benefit. He said, he has never, and this was like eight years into his church plant, he had never had to ask for a volunteer. Well, here's the reason. He said every single person in his church knew that he worked 50, 60, 70 hours a week in the marketplace. They knew he had a very demanding job, and everybody knew this guy can't do it all. 
and and he shouldn't do it all anyway, right? But everybody knew if if this is going to work and if and if we're going to really engage in mission and ministry the way we should, uh, we've got to step up and and we have to fill the gap because he has a full time job in the marketplace just like everybody else did. So I just thought it was interesting mm -hmm. that he said he never had to ask for a volunteer because mm -hmm. in most cases when someone's fully funded, there's an expectation in the congregation if it's spoken or not, where they say, hey, we pay you to do this, right? We show up on Sunday and give so you can do the work of ministry. Mm -hmm. So again, I think it kind of forces the priesthood of all believer conversation to the forefront. And I think it's, a, I think it's just a good thing. So wow. yeah, mm -hmm. it's still challenging. Absolutely. But I think we have to rethink uh, church planting. Yeah. We have to change expectations that we have of ourselves as leaders, but also mm -hmm. expectations for the congregation. And yeah. then the third thing, and this goes back to the podcast we did earlier, Mark, is we have to engage uh, in APES teams. Mm -hmm. We just, you know, we all believe regardless of uh, strategy or model someone has as, for a church planter, you can't do it alone. You have to do it with a team. But if you're bivocational or co-vocational, there is absolutely no other option. You mm -hmm. you have if you're co-vocational, you have to do it with a team. Mm -hmm. And I think the best way to think about team is is think about APES teams. Mm -hmm. So identify, you know, we talked about this last time, but identify how you're gifted in APES, who's missing on the team, what other voices do you need to have, and then how are you going to ensure that everybody has you know equal voice on that team. So mm -hmm. I just think that changes. That just makes it doable. I think is the word you said. Is it even you know is it even possible or doable to have a full time job in the marketplace and plant a church? And I think if we change the expectations, if we think differently about church planting, and if we do it with a strong APES team, it absolutely is doable. Yeah, that's good. I've got this question actually. Maybe you're answering it, but maybe there might be something to add. So someone's asking, um, thinking that the church you plant it has to be less demanding than the classic model, uh, attractional church. Um, can he paint? Can can Brad? paint any picture of what kind of churches are being planted what kind of churches are being planted by co-vocational leaders and uh yeah someone else has asked a very similar question it's impossible to replicate large-scale attractional church um so what's the ecclesia uh, ecclesiological minimum yeah. um around those kind of like i guess what you know those expressions of church that serve co-vocational ministry best yeah, that's a fantastic question. It was here's the first thing I always say is is think of co-vocational as a strategy, not a model. Okay, so that's the first thing. Think of it as a strategy, not a model. Here's what I mean by that. Most of the time when we hear bivocational or co-vocational, we think a model, we think small. People think house church. If you're bivocational or co-vocational, must be house church, must be missional community, must be micro church. And I think there's probably more of that because it's small, but it doesn't have to be. This is a missiological and financial strategy. It's not a model. It's not model specific. I'll give you an example. In San Diego, there's a church planter who's a fireman. He's always been a fireman. The church now is probably nine or 10 years old. Uh, he was a fireman when they started. He's still a fireman. And this church runs... I can't remember for sure, but there's, they have a Sunday gathering. They're pretty attractional. They run somewhere between five and 600. Well, here's the way they're able to do that. He's co-vocational. He's a fireman, but every single staff member they've hired over those eight or nine years are also bivocational or co-vocational. So even when the church grew large enough that he could have left being a fireman and focused full time on the church, he said, no, I love being a fireman. So whenever they had the money to hire 
him to be full-time. He said, no, let's hire another bivocational or co-vocational leader. So I can't remember the numbers now, and I haven't talked to him for over a year. But at one point, they probably had 12 or 13 staff, and every single staff member was bivocational or co-vocational. So see, and it, and they're attractional. They, I mean, they have a very robust, attractional Sunday gathering. Now, he over the years, he's tried to shift that because he sees the, you know, the downside of just being focused on the, the Sunday morning worship service. But it's beautiful that here's an attractional model that's led by all Bivo Covo leaders. So it's see, it's a strategy. It's 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 not a model. But I would say that I, you know, a lot of the kind of the church planting um, strategies that that capture my attention the most are those that are more micro church focused, where mission is the center of the micro church. The reason part of the reason that is really appealing to me is I think uh, you can really step into the brokers in the city w- when you really focus uh, on w- when mission is the organizing principle of that micro church. But also the reason that's very appealing to me is those micro churches are always led by bivocational, co-vocational leaders. Um, so they're not worried about the size of it. They're worried more about the impact that micro church is having on brokenness in the city. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so yeah, so I would just say back to the the original question. I think the 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 strategy or the model, the approach is very diverse, but it's not dependent. It doesn't have to be at house church because it can be a launch large kind of attractional model uh, if there's a if there's a large team of bivocovo leaders. Um, but so I don't I don't think it dictates. I guess the kind of church plant that that you're going you're going to plant. Mm-hmm. That's really helpful. Um, okay, so take a little bit of a uh, turn here. So, uh, and this is really, really important stuff. So um, somebody's asking a question about, um, are there any certain practices uh, which serve this paradigm? And they're talking from the perspective of sustainability, um, well-being for the leaders. Uh, so are, are there any like... Um, pieces of advice or anything you picked up along the way uh, around uh, or any good input on how to avoid getting over stretched overworked scattered yeah any practices any rhythms anything unique perhaps even that serves co-vocational uh, folks um to, to be able to to cope to be able to thrive actually that's what we're shooting for i guess Right. Well, some of it I'd probably just r- repeat. I mean, one thing that I haven't said that, you know, a conversation that I have with planters all the time is, a re- and I use the language of margin. I just think it's really helpful for a church planting team. I, I think it's helpful for a church in general to have some common shared language around this. So I personally, I use the language of margin all the time. So margin, if they're not familiar, it comes from a book that was written 30 years ago by a Christian psychiatrist named Richard Swinson. And the book is actually called Margin. I just think this is a beautiful metaphor. He says, if you take any book and open it to any page in any book, it doesn't matter how big the book is, how small the book is. There's a white space that goes around every single page. And that white space is, we call that margin. And he he uses that as a metaphor to say, our lives have to have margin. We have to have financial margin, relational margin, time margin. So that in other words, we can't just fill our schedules completely full, that there, there has to be this white space around every day. Um, so I think that's, I, I would start there just to say that needs to be language that's common shared language in the church plant to where we can ask each other and hold each other accountable. Do you have margin in, in your schedule this week? 
you know, or are you running like when, when you're, you know, when you're 15 minutes late to one meeting, it makes you 30 minutes late to the next meeting and you're an hour late to the next meeting. Now, a lot of times, just because we live in a very busy, chaotic world, uh, we may not be able to do that on our own. That's why I think this is common shared language that we need to have because we need to hold each other accountable and ask, do you have margin in your life? If not, how are you going to carve out margin? So that's one. The second, and I think this is more of a kind of a kind of a soul issue. We, we've got, we, and I said this before, we've got to go back and deal with some expectations about ministry success, church planting success. Uh, I would say if you're if you're planting a church with a network, you need to have this conversation with any kind of supervisor or mentor that you have um, that it's not just about the numbers. It's not about how many people are showing up. You know, it's it's interesting. <laughs> there's a there's a tweet that I tweet just about every Saturday night. I just retweet the same tweet over and over again. And I just say, church planter, remember, don't put too much emphasis on how many people join you tomorrow morning. Instead, focus on the impact that is taking place in your neighborhood, your workplace, and social spaces. Now, I can tell you, every single time I tweet that, there'll be a planter that'll respond and just say, thanks for that. I needed to hear it, you know, because we just put so, we just tie like our success and the success with the church plant with how many people are showing up on Sunday morning. But if we're really equipping people to engage their neighborhoods and their workplaces and social spaces, we just have to focus more on that and and less on, you know, tying our success to how many people show up on Sunday morning. So I think expectations is a big thing. And then uh, and again, I just repeating myself, but go back. You just can't emphasize enough the importance of the team and 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 not only an APES team where we have a diversity of voices, but but we're caring for each other and we're looking out for each other and we're encouraging each other. That's one of the, you know, the, the biggest deficits of planting by yourself is often you don't have someone there that's, you know, asking you really good questions about how you're doing and, and, um, and, and, and your personal rhythms and all of that. So I think ex it back, I don't know, Mark, I think, I think it's just so much of it goes back to expectations. Um, who are we going on this journey with? Uh, and then just again, and because I think our expectations a lot of times will drive us to unhealthy rhythms, you know, mm -hmm. like we'll, we'll do things that maybe aren't necessary, but we're doing because we think that, you know, it's going to feed into the success that we're striving for. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if that's very helpful or not, but uh, I just see, I just see planters that are co-vocational. Uh, they are going to burn out if they, if they don't have realistic expectations and if they're not on the journey, if there's not other people kind of walking on the journey with them. Mm -hmm. That's good. I've got a question, Brad, about, uh, and maybe it arches back to a previous question earlier on in the podcast. Uh, I'll read it as, it as it's been written to me. I think there's also something about trust of lay leaders within the church or the wider church. That's those who don't have formal training or, or even who are not ordained. Uh, building on that, trust of, uh, trust of people, the um, trust of people, the central local church have less control over because they aren't contracted or accountable in the same way as employees or ministers. So something about educated, um, uh, our co-vocational um, ministers, uh, pastors, uh, church leaders, do they have the same kind of credibility uh, because they're often not as well-trained um, or in bigger organisations who maybe are starting out on the co-vocational journey to explore it, 
Uh, is there a tension there between the ordained and those who are pursuing that? Uh, well, maybe there is, but I, I think if there is a tension there, in most cases, it's with church people. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if, if, uh, if, if non-Christians, I mean, if somebody really ministers to them and cares for them and loves, for, loves them, you think they're going to care if, if they have the proper credentials? I, I just, I mean, I'm trying to think an example and I, I can't think of one, <laughs> you know, um, but, but again, I'm not minimizing. I just think, you know, there's so many other opportunities for theological education online and all that, that, um, you know, if someone, if they were in a, let me say it like this, if they're in a context where that is, is, is important, then yeah, I would pursue that. Um, but I just think for someone that isn't credentialed, like maybe in their denomination, um, I just haven't seen that. When it's an issue, it's an issue with people that have, have been in the church for a long time. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's as big of an issue as, as we probably make it out to be, but at the same time, I'm not minimizing. I mean, I, I have two, I have two seminary degrees, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, downplaying theological education. I just think we need to go about it in a different way. Um, and, and we may not need to, you know, if we're going to start micro churches and, and we're really going to try to make a difference in the brokenness in our city, you know, you don't have to have two seminary degrees. So no. No, that's good. All right. Well, I'm looking, I've got uh, both eyes on the time actually now, and I know you need to jump off fairly soon, but um, we, we've been really grateful to have you on the podcast, Brad, and thanks for the first podcast and certainly the conversation we've just been having of like really getting into the nitty gritty of things. I'm sure we've missed some things, um, for, but, but is there anything you'd like to say as a parting shot to people who might be, um, sitting on the fence or, or or wondering whether to test this journey out uh, for a season is there anything you you would like to leave us with well i would just say regard again i said this earlier but regardless of what god's called you to do in the marketplace um it matters all work matters i don't care what it is that you've been called to do it matters work is good and and try to connect what is the work god's called you to do in the marketplace how does it connect to his mission his redemptive purposes and then, um, you know, I, I would I would recommend, you know, just a couple of maybe resources that would hopefully would be encouraging. So there's a book that that I wrote a couple of years ago that's actually you can buy a printed copy of it on Amazon, but you can also download a free digital copy of it. It's just called Co-Vocational Church Planning. So if you just Google Co-Vocational Church Planning, it would take you to a landing page where you can download it for free in English or Spanish. And, and it's really, there, you know, the first couple of little lessons or chapters are just an encouragement to think differently about church, uh, bivocational and co-vocational. And then the rest of it is just practical advice. Some of it's about sustainability. Some of it's about rhythm. Some of it's about margin. A lot of it's about missionary behaviors and activities. So I would start there. And then I tell you another book that just came out a couple of months ago. It's written by a Canadian named An uh, Andrew Hamilton, and it's called The Future is Bivocational. Or it's called the future. Uh, future is bivocationalism, and man, Andrews has done a fantastic job. I just love this book. I I shot him a note and just said, man, Andrew, you're a very good writer. I think he hit all of the important topics uh, as, as it relates to bivocationalism. So I, I would highly recommend that. The future is bivocationalism by Andrew Hamilton. There'd be a couple of resources that, if you're interested in this, it just kind of push push things forward a little bit. 
That's great. Well, thanks again, Brad. I'm gonna yeah, you bet, you Mark. Let you go now. God bless love you. Love having a conversation with. You. Thank you. Yeah, let's do it again sometime. <laughs> I'd love it. See you. Well, welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation that I had with with Brad Briscoe, second conversation, uh, full of tools and practices and trying to dig a bit deeper into the co-vocational conversation. Um, now, we're trying to start a new uh, rhythm in our podcasts, uh, aren't we, Ashley? So what are we going to do are. now? We've got some questions, haven't so, we? Yeah, so we've got... Um... We thought a few questions actually we might post a few more into the description but there's a couple that we thought we could just bring up for now um for you guys to chew over uh, and we want to give you 30 seconds maybe a minute of um just quiet there'll be some music playing in the background just have a think about these two questions and then we'll come back together and mark and i will have a chat about um our reflections on them ourselves this is just to give you some thinking space before we jump in with our own ideas and thoughts so um, here they are. What from today's episode is particularly relevant for your culture right now? And how can I learn more about this? Or is there anything that needs clarifying that I don't understand? So what from today's episode is particularly relevant for your culture right now? And how could I learn more about this? Or is there anything that I need clarifying or don't understand? Just take 30 seconds for yourself, guys. back i hope you i keep doing welcoming back messages in this podcast um i hope you enjoyed that forced uh pause and, and the music and the gift of of uh, a little bit of silence maybe as well to reflect over those questions um and i'm going to throw one of those questions right now out to ashley so that question uh what from today's episode was particularly relevant for you in your culture or your context i just want to jump back to the fact you called it a forced pause like it was a terrible thing we're trying to embrace the contemplative practice more aren't we mark which is also really good for our culture right now in relation to that question <laughs> but um what what did i think from today's episode was particularly relevant um i've been reflecting on this a bit because i'm um i'm a mum of an 18 month old and i spend a lot of time with other mums of similar aged babies um who are all trying to juggle um this kind of work mum life nursery you know getting some time for yourself sort of thing and um I can just hear like how torn people are and how pe much people struggle to find that balance and I think that that's a conversation that is had you know in every single type of sphere where people are trying to do too much um 
or pull themselves um, in those different directions. And I think that this conversation is so important because we know we need to be um, in the marketplace or or in other spheres, not just in the sphere of church ministry and church leadership, um, as well as be in our ministry of and church leadership and, and church planting. But how do we do that? How do we make that work? How do we not try to basically be 100% both? <laughs> um, and how do we get that balance right? Um, how do we not get stressed mm. all the time? How do we not feel continuously guilty about not doing both? Um, you know, I always feel like that as a mum. Like I can't be 100% mum or 100% a Salvation Army officer. So how do I, how do I live that life? And I just heard a lot in this podcast that I thought is just saying to our culture, like, stop. Yeah stop feeling like you have to be a hundred percent everything yeah. and embrace how all these things are mixed together and how they, how they really like benefit one another, how they yeah, like beautifully create something that couldn't be created from just trying to separate everything out. Yeah. Um, That's so really I think good. it's just got a load of, a load of stuff for our culture around how we look after our health, how we get balance in life, yeah. working better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he, talk, he talks just, about like the missional benefits and the financial bene- benefits. What about like the sense of well-being in the rhythm yeah. of society in the way it is right now? You know, with so many people like full up on anxiety or stress or just, yeah. you know, just those pressures, you know, maybe it's a, I'm not saying I know, but this it would definitely need new rhythms in, in the way we do church and leadership that kind of just... Yeah sit better with you know help us navigate the realities of of, of what we're yeah. up against as parents as as friends as family and, and church leaders and all that mix uh certainly new realities that our our generation the generation coming are, are dealing with um i did um in our setting um in the Salvation Army we have a course called Frontline in the UK which is all about trying to teach leaders to equip their congregations that the places they spend their time so their front line are really important whether it's work or um looking after family or whatever it is and I just think like that conversation needs to be flipped back around too doesn't it yeah onto the church leader like where's all the little parts of your life is it a job is it family is it caring for an elderly parent is it extra study is it a hobby what is it and how are they all like your co-vocation? Yeah. How are they all your mission? Yeah. And that's a crucial journey, isn't it, for uh, for the church in general? It's just uh, like what Brad was saying: dismantle the sacred secular divide. I think was some mm. like phrase that he used, just helping us to see with re-enchanted eyes the places where we are most of the time you know, uh, yeah. and how they are, you know, we're there not by accident, but we're there potentially to, we're there for, you know, because that's the place we're supposed to be, that God has placed yeah. us there or or will use us, use us there. Um, one, if I can like just jump in actually around this one, I was, and I hadn't yeah. planned to say this, but one of the things I'm thinking, especially when you think about people's well-being and, you know, how they maybe weigh up the decision, shall I go co-vocational or, or if mm. you're in full-time ministry, you know, that journey of migrating from full-time ministry into 
something else if it's co-vocational or bivocational I think there's a lot of fear there isn't there yeah you know mm. particularly when you consider all the stresses that are in our society and the the busyness of church the anxiety of like taking those, those first steps it feels that yeah. would be great to it would be great uh to to be equipped in that place of and supported in that place of taking those first initial steps into the new world or, or the new yeah. possibilities I think fear is such a for me when I'm thinking about if I was to do it it'd be like I'll be leaving behind something that yeah. is all I've known and the ministry model that I've grown up seeing so there's a there's a thing in there isn't there about how do we how does our like organizations leaders that get to permission give to this stuff how do they help take away some of the anxiety and the fear so a leader wants to come to you and say I think that going co-vocational, bivocational might be the way forward for the ministry in this area. How do we not make that like this really scary thing, but how do we make that a conversation that will be heard and received well? It's going to go forwards well. It's going to be encouraging people to come and have those conversations. Yeah. 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 I, that's what I feel I would need. And I think as I'm, I've got this role now where I'm responsible for pioneering and supporting pioneer leaders in Sweden and I'm thinking that we've got to have this conversation, but I need to, I need to really understand like the inner workings of people who are on the verge of taking those decisions, the feelings, the anxieties, you know what, mm. what they're weighing up to really be able to to support people in in that place. So mm. I'm thinking both with that hat on, and and even partly myself, I'm wondering what it would look like for me if I was to ever yeah. ever ever take that. What would it mean for my family and you know yeah. and where I live and all those kind of things uh well, well actually I don't I know we were going to ask another question but I just think one of the words that kept popping up was um in co-vocational the churches that serve co-vocational ministry they tend to be a lot more smaller um mm. by necessity uh but Brad used and a lot of the questions were aimed around sustainability because I think that's part of the fear as well how you yeah. how do we how do we do church when we've only got like about maybe one day to give to it or or yeah x amount of hours and Brad used the word expectations uh, that mm. they just have to be different, and I think that's just those words feel really good. Like imagine like a group of people, and you you know just in team or church, just having those different expectations than what we've seen. The expectations within the contexts and the churches that we've seen, you know, the expectations on the leader just to do everything, and they've got seven days, yeah. you know. Yeah, I don't know. I was just throwing it out. I was just thinking, oh, be, I really would love to change the expectations on some people. Uh, well, I like his language that they just have to be. You know, there's not, there's no question. There's no like we can maybe keep some of them. It's like they've you, they've all got to be different. You've got to relook at all of this. Yeah, stuff start from the beginning. Everything. Yeah. How do we meet? Where do we meet? What does meeting look like? You know, all of this sort of stuff like what should our meetings be gathered around who are the people we're meeting with like yeah everything and he's, he's there's Ask one more. guy there's there's one guy he, he used as the example who i don't know if it was the fireman or the policeman but one of them and he said that he honestly has never had to ask anyone to volunteer. And I almost like interrupted yeah. and said, you must be lying. <laughs> that's that's not true. I know. He's telling fibs. That oh, the guy. dream. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Let's get back to the reality. That's, that can't possibly be true. <laughs> this is church leadership. But, 
I can see it though, because some of my hang-ups as a church leader is that I almost feel guilty asking people to help because yeah. I know I've got I've got more time than others. And you would just start from a totally different place if you didn't have the time. Yeah. You couldn't T- feel that guilt. Totally. Anyway. Mark, I'm throwing a question back back your way, and I'm sure that will lead in with a little bit of what you've been saying already. Come on in. But what do you want to learn more about? What are you curious about? What do you want to be clarified? What do you want to understand more? That's well, like a lot of questions in one. Yeah, it's, it is a lot. And actually, I'll probably say I feel that I'm really hungry to learn uh, and to, to explore this, particularly maybe uh, from a European context. Um, yeah. uh, and I would love to find, I mean, maybe there's people on the podcast listening who know people who've journeyed on this road a bit or have a bit of an insight into the unique dynamics of the European context. So personally, I'd love to get alongside people who maybe have a little bit of an insight into our context. That'd be the first thing. And then like one, one of the things that we were talking before was um, Brad mentioned um, that, you know, people in co-vocational ministry or, or in contexts where the churches are by necessity, smaller micro churches, um, for example, mission, small missional communities, they tend to be more able to step into the brokenness of the communities more than perhaps other mm. modes or models of leadership. And, and I was saying to you, I, I, I could, I wish if I had, I wish I had the presence of mind to press him on that and ask him a little bit more what he what he meant by that. I don't know if mm. you you can remember that moment, but. I, I would love to understand. Yeah, what do you mean? What? What? So, if you're co-vocational, you obviously got. You know, you work. Maybe you're working or serving in another space. How does that allow you or enable you to be more engaged, embodied, heart, mind in some of the brokenness yeah. of, of the communities? So, I would love to hear more about that. But I'm not sure if I fully yeah. understood the. Yeah, I think he was. I think he was talking a bit about kind of. I guess that you might take away some of those um, some of those temptations to focus on other things because they are things you need to do to bring money in um, or to get people in with money. Um, that you'd be freed from those if you weren't expecting your church to pay your salary. A little, I think there was a bit of that in there, wasn't there? Um, but I, I'm also interested in that dynamic there about if if co-vocation was meant to push us to the marginalised, um, then what sort of jobs go alongside with that? Well, so what if, because, you know, obviously a lot of what he's talking about potentially could be, if you're going to be in the marketplace, you're, you're meeting other people in the marketplace. But what if your um, passion, um, the people that you want to reach are people that are not working, uh, people that unemployed mm. or work just unable to have jobs for other reasons mm. um where where are you meeting people that are in that circumstance and what does being in the marketplace in the better commerce mean in that situation does it mean being in more socially facing roles uh, social work teaching nursing but those roles don't often pay a lot so how do you do how do you do a four-day week if you've got a job like that all these sort of questions come mm. up for me when I when I think about this job and I guess some of that might might be specific as well to being in a European context. How much do certain jobs pay? How do you do part time on those on maybe not really high paying jobs, but jobs that would be putting you right with people um, on a daily on a daily basis? You know, mm. um, big questions. Yeah, really big. We've questions. got so much to talk about, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I've got tons more questions, and uh, I've got no zero answers on this one. <laughs> I just like. 
Uh, I'm really looking forward to the 1st of December and uh, I know that we'll be a, a group of learners together uh, but we really would love if, if you maybe are playing this out in your context um, and not just if it's been a success story but also perhaps if it's been a place of you stepped out it's been struggle we would love to have you on the call on the 1st of December um, just to just to help us chew the curl and to, to work out uh, uh, some of these questions that we're having because I think the conversation is important um yeah a or if way. you're like us you haven't got two people that are actually already doing it you might have people that are just interested in doing it yeah or thinking about it yeah yeah it's going to be pretty laid back isn't it we're not like very no, no teaching it's just show up ask a lot of questions ask a lot of questions go home <laughs> great no 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 we hope that it will be a real blessed time and a real yeah. point of connection because what we're trying to do you know is the, the bigger goal for us is to build community we we, we don't want yeah. this just to be us delivering a podcast and and then it don't, not going anywhere we really want to get to know yeah. you know some of you people out there and uh yeah explore some of these what we think are really really important things for this time for people and yeah. for organization and hear yeah. the wisdom in the room eh the wisdom is in the room yeah 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 that's that's great cool well great to have you guys together listen to the next podcast by hannah yeah ruth Haley barton is the guest there we go and join us on the first of december 7 15 p.m uk time 8 15 p.m european time exactly don't know anything about america sorry you can work it out from the european time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right guys see you next time yeah, peace. Bye. Bye-bye.